This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, ideas, and interviews from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I'm your host, Jamie Wood. Our topic this fortnight, the next 10 questions. Now, we have covered the topic of interrogating the brief in the past, but a solid client uncovery is an area that requires constant focus and attention. So we're going to go back and revisit that. Now, whether you're selling media directly to clients or you know through an agency, the ability to really understand the client to really understand their objectives and their drivers by asking interesting, thought-provoking questions that are exciting to answer. It's going to give you a competitive edge. It's incredibly important to be able to do this well. Now, our returning guest is Mr. Wade Kingsley, founder of The Ideas Business. Today's topic, it's an extension of the previous podcast we did, where Wade actually referred to the next 10 questions in the interview. Here's a snippet. One of the things we kind of work on is, is asking what we call the next 10 questions. The first 10 questions are going to be the question that every salesperson to every client is going to ask. What's your demo? What's your budget? What's the campaign timing? Blah, 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 blah. And they're all important pieces of information. But the next 10 questions are where you can be really unique and you could pick up a piece of information that you know the agency or the client is going to go, oh, gee, I hadn't actually thought about that or, you know, that's a good question. And then you know you've got a piece of unique information that when you're creating your solution – could provide the difference because you've taken the time to ask the right question at the start. Now, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode as well. Uh, It's all around how to sell an idea. But, you know, we did have a number of listeners reach out, post that show, seeking more detail on the next 10 questions and wanting us to unpack it more. So, very delighted to do it. Here it is. Media Sales Mastery. Wade, welcome back. Thank you, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We um, had a good chat before we hit record. You're in hotel quarantine in beautiful Adelaide at the moment. Um, tell us, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks and uh, and more generally in the ideas business? Well, um, I'm in hotel quarantine because I've been in the US for about a week or so. Uh, had five days on the ground in Ohio and I can absolutely assure everyone that there is normal after COVID. <laughs> it does, life does go back to normal. I was actually out eating in restaurants and I was um, in meetings with people, real people, not remotely, but they were there. Um, and yeah, it felt, felt like a, oh, I remember this type experience. And, um, it's kind of heartening and reassuring that, you know, particularly for those of us who've been in Melbourne or Sydney or other locations where there's been lockdowns that, um, life will get back to normal at some point. So was there working with a client for about a week or so, and then have done two weeks or entered my two weeks of hotel quarantine. And, I wish I could complain about it, but I'm getting the chance to read, listen to podcasts, catch up on work, um, not have to look after the kids and do homeschooling, so I'm pretty good. (laughs) Get to fill the funnel, which I think is pretty essential for for creativity, isn't it? Being able to read widely and take in new stimuli and and, um, just kind of top up, replenish the reserves, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I always say to people around creative thinking, one of the most important things to do is to keep the net wide, look for things that are of slight interest to you and go deeper into those and find out what things are around. And I'm a sucker for a bookshop. So I came back from the US with an extra heavy case because I think I bought about seven uh, books, one of which is Dave Grohl's new book, Storyteller, which I'll recommend to you because that's awesome. Um, But yeah, there's lots of ways to kind of fuel that creative fire. So keeping an interest in across different topics and things is the way to go. Yeah, I remember we had um, we had Andrew Sidwell recently on the podcast, and he was saying a very similar thing of you know read widely and just kind of look into topics and areas that are just different to what you typically do. And I remember going, this is so at odds with how I am as a person, where if I find a song, it's like the only song I listen to. And if I find a meal, it's the only meal I want to eat. And, I'm, you know, I've got my black T-shirt on that I just want to wear all the time. Um, it's it's, But you can definitely feel the benefits of it, you know, reading reading a, a, a blog on supply chain management or, um, you know, watching a YouTube video on some sort of interesting food or something it does it does feel like it gives you a bit of fuel to then draw from and and um you know just kind of expand maybe the way of uh the way of thinking that we normally sort of would default to 
Yeah, mate, I completely agree with you. The only thing I'll just point out there is I think you're the only person in the world ever that has sounded excited about a blog about supply chain management. I think you're you're it. Me, me and any sort of logistics manager or person who works in that field, I'm sure. Hey, and trust me, it wasn't that good. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm hoping it'll come in handy. Otherwise, it's five minutes of my life. I certainly won't get back. But look, thanks for making the time, man. I really, I really did enjoy the, the podcast we did last time, which the topic was how to sell an idea. Um, and what was pretty cool about it was, People do reach out a bit on LinkedIn after the episodes, and funnily enough, we actually have quite a few listeners from Ohio. So, oh wow, um, maybe a few, maybe a few from Hubbard Radio there. But one of the things that was really interesting, we played a snippet of it at the start of this episode, was you were talking around a brief uncovery interrogation technique all around the next ten questions, and it was sort of a, I guess, a methodology more so than just a here are the ten questions that you want to ask. So as I, as I guess a bit of a, not so much a methodology, but, you know, as maybe a technique or a way of thinking, this whole idea of the next 10 questions, it feels a bit deeper. In your mind, what is, what is the idea of the next 10 questions? What does it actually achieve beyond just extracting more detail? For me, where I sort of landed on sort of branding it as the next 10 questions, in, in, in a different context, it's basically doing two things. One is I think if you can demonstrate curiosity to a client um, or someone you're talking to, if you can demonstrate by asking questions that you actually care and you're interested, what it can help you with is both the short term and the long term. So the short term is you can extract some information that might be useful for the brief that you're working on or the campaign. Longer term, what it does is help build your reputation as being a curious person and representing the company or brand that you work for as being a curious brand. And when the shit hits the fan, which we've seen through COVID, what tends to happen is people go to trusted partners who they think are smart and get it because you often think you're going to get either a more strategic solution, you're going to get a, a faster response. Um, you don't kind of want to deal with the, the nufties. <laughs> you kind of want to, you want to deal with the people who, you know, oh, we've got this problem. Um, you know, we've done, we've never tackled it before or there's this thing going on or we're stuck. We need to get you know, smart partners on board with this. And so by asking those sort of questions, I think the first thing it does is it builds credibility. That's the most important mm. thing. But the second thing, which obviously is more related to the brief context, if, you, if you're in a briefing situation and you're asking those next 10 questions, is really the objective is to unearth unique information. Because what tends to happen is in the first 10 questions is you largely get maybe 75, 80% of the information that everyone else has got because everyone else has asked the same questions. So people who ask all the important questions around the detail, which, you know, is important, budget, demographic, competitors, campaign objectives, all that sort of table stake stuff, it's important. But you're, you've got to think about it in a competitive situation is unless you're being briefed on 100% exclusivity or you're sitting down with a client and, you know, you're the only one getting the brief, then everyone's getting the same information. And I always think that in order to try and uncover something unique, you need to go deeper and you need to ask broader or more lateral questions. And that's, that's kind of the spit out for me is that if you've got something unique, it gives you something else to leverage or work on when you take the brief back to the office. It's like, okay, well, we know all this stuff. Everyone got that information. But because we asked this question, we got this piece of information. Some of mm. it will be useful. Some of it may not be useful, but you certainly won't know unless you ask. I just love that. I mean, I just think that whole idea around differentiation in the solution you put forward, you know, that different is better than better kind of mindset that we have sometimes, it has to come from being able to actually uncover something that only you maybe are are uncovering. So, you know, you can go back and, and sort of leverage that unique insight or that unique piece of information that your competitors don't have. What I think's happened in the last 18 months, is, at least from what I've observed, is there's a lot of focus on uncovery happening at the moment for BDS salespeople. You know, they really are sort of going, we've got to... We've got to mitigate the risk of coming back with the wrong thing. We've really got to make sure we do a good, solid client uncovery. What I worry about, though, is that a lot of these uncoveries are heavy on the detail questions. You know, it's all about the budget, the timing, the demographic, the types of inventory we're going to be deploying. One, does does that sort of feel like it's something that maybe you you have observed across the last 18 months across a couple of industries? Or 
or you know where people aren't aren't sort of leaning into the creative kind of thinking or the creative questioning so much and are just going for the clinical detail and and if so what do you think could be sort of driving that obviously we're in a bit of a time now where it's pretty hard to judge what's a trend and what is perhaps something that's going to just be a bit of a fad the the situation that we're in now is in such a weird kind of place because everything that is fundamental to selling, particularly in the media space, uh, has had an opportunity to change in some way. You know, we used to do a lot of stuff in person. We're not doing, now we're doing a lot of stuff remotely. Uh, we used to get a lot of information through relationship building and client entertainment and lunches and all those sort of great things. And now it's very functional because you're on a Zoom at a certain time and you might be on the Zoom with six other people. And, and so those sort of things are changing. So I guess the first thing I would observe is that I don't think we can yet say what's here to stay and what's going to kind of revert back to normal. On, on that question, though, of questions or uncovery where people are just trying to seek that information, here's my kind of takeaway from that. Look at the word uncovery. Now, uncovery as a, as a term that gets used a lot now is kind of become a placeholder word, but is that actually what's happening? Are you actually uncovering information or is someone just regurgitating what's on the brief to you? So there's a lot of regurgitation. There's a lot of like, okay, we've sent you this in an email, but now we're going to have a meeting where we're just going to verbalise what we put in the email. So, you know, here's the demo. Well, that's what it says. Uh, here's the budget. Well, that's what it says. So there's not really a lot of uncovery going on, I would say. The uncovery happens when you're actually asking questions, where you're uncovering information that you wouldn't have been presented anyway. And I'm glad to hear that the next 10 questions um, philosophy is resonating with people because that's where uncovery happens. It's very rare that you uncover anything massively interesting in the first five questions, um, particularly the first couple are like, hi, how are you going? What's news in your world? Um, if you start to get to the actual brief and you're like, okay, tell us about it. It's not really uncovery. It's someone reporting. It's someone saying to you, here are those things. And I often think about this in the, in the context of, of news gathering. There are reporters and there are journalists. Reporters take facts from somewhere else and just report it to you. Journalists yeah. unearth, uncover, go digging, go looking, ask questions, um, use sources, you know, put multiple things, pieces together to form a story. And so maybe have a think about it in the context of next time you're taking a brief. Are you a reporter? Are you a journalist? Are you actually uncovering anything? And this trend around just getting factual information, again, I don't want to dismiss it because it is important, but think about things you would have been given anyway and then just move on to the next ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like you don't go to the Atlantic or the New Yorker or titles like that to hear the facts regurgitated. You go for the insight and you go for kind of the uh, the interpretation, the unique the unique interpretation that that reporter might have of the events and the things that are, are sort of being unearthed there. And I guess it's kind of, you know, if we talk about sort of detail questions or the clinical questions of the brief, the ones we have to ask, right? Like the ones we have to actually know and we do have to go through the process have you got sort of any categories or or ways of grouping different types of questions when it comes to sort of a good client uncovery you know is a you know do we have a detailed question versus like a back a background or history question versus like a future state question versus a real lateral question like kind of curious if there's a uh, i guess a way of of naming those different types of questions and and sort of maybe interchanging or using them in a way that makes it interesting for the client to actually answer them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good you said that about interesting for the client to answer them because I always think a great question, you, you know when you've got it. Um, it's it's hard to do, but you know when you've got it because traditionally the answer would be a client saying, you know what, no one's asked me that question or, you know mm. what, I haven't actually thought about that. Um, the, the question that sort of puts someone back on their heels might feel a little bit... Um, confrontational or it might feel a little bit prickly, but you don't want to kind of be aggressive about it, but you want to be able to ask questions that get people thinking. And the way I would sort of group them or categorize them, as you said, is is you're going to probably ask the mandatories or probably more the literal questions. So the literal questions are, you know, the who, what, where, when, okay, so who are we targeting? What's the budget? What's the timing? All very literal. The lateral sort of questions come from a place that's unexpected and can come from things that seemingly aren't obvious or connected. Um, 
you know, I, I can flash back to times where I've been in briefings and I'm sitting there thinking about these questions and I probably thought about a little bit in advance, but I go in and go, well, what are the sort of the three, five questions that I've got up my sleeve that should this should the briefing session take us in a direction where it, it makes me feel comfortable to ask? I want to ask mm. that question that really gets underneath something. And so, you know, the surface level stuff is what is what we all trade in every single day. It's like, here's the basics. What, when you dig underneath, when you sort of start thinking a bit laterally, sometimes those questions, I call them wise questions, as in W-H-Y-S-E, because mm. the wise question means you're asking why to uncover something that's going to make you smarter. And if you think about it, the whole purpose of a media brief is to brief the media, right? But there's a reason why that media brief even exists, because someone in a, in a marketing team has briefed an agency to achieve an outcome. And someone in the business that is being briefed out has briefed their own marketing team for that. And someone further up the chain has come up with a problem. So the, fur- the more you ask why, why, why does this brief exist? Why, we, why does this brand have this problem? Why is this business going through this challenge? The more you kind of get to the heart of the issue because briefs are effectively the symptoms, but the cause is way up the line. And you want to be able to say to people, okay, so we know that they're going to be marketing this product in, you know, first quarter of next year. We know they've got this money to spend. So tell us what it means to the business that this product works. Um, tell us why it's important they're launching it now. Tell us what is keeping the CEO up at night. Tell us what's happened to the share price of the company. Mm-hmm. Tell us what competitive pressure they're on. And I think sometimes what I find a little frustrating is that if I say that to people, they go, we don't need to know that information. It's like you don't know what you need to know. <laughs> you, you yeah. don't Until you ask, you've got absolutely no right to say we don't need to know that. If you if you ask the question and you get a piece of information, it, you can then choose whether it's useful to your task or not, but it could also be really important background. To, to know that a, a business is launching a product and you have a media brief as the end result is just one outtake. If you take six steps back and you ask more questions, you get deeper into it and you find out the reason they need to launch this product is because they're about to go through a merger process and they need their share price to look really good um, before that starts and therefore they need a sales increase in the first quarter because that affects the share price, then all of a sudden you're kind of getting to the heart of the issue and then you realise the importance of the question. You realize the importance of the brief. And if you're in media sales and you think your job is just to kind of get revenue, I think you're missing a really big opportunity to learn about how a business works through the mechanism of a brief. Use that as permission slip to say, okay, we've got this, but I'd really like to know what else is going on inside that business. And you know, that whole thing around the wise questions is really interesting because even just the actual why in place of what as a as a bit of muscle memory is amazing it's amazing the actual difference that you can get you know one of the examples i'd use is you know what's the budget right so like let's say that is the question the reframe is is why is this the budget like why is this the, why is this the budget you're giving us right and and obviously <laughs> don't do it in an accusatory way or like why aren't we getting more but think about that you know why why is that the budget for our channel yeah Oh, because yours yours plays a critical role. You know? Well, absolutely, and you know, and and that's and like what you said there about not being an accusatory is a is a great example of you you want curiosity comes from the Latin to care. It's because you care is you want to actually understand what's going on. You want to understand the whole picture. Remembering that, I reckon ninety percent of the time when you've got a media brief and you get a budget, that is not the only way they're trying to solve the business problem. It could be one of the ways. And a marketing campaign using paid media delivers on that. But, you know, here's a great question when you get a budget. So, we, you know, let's say you get a budget for, I don't know, 200 grand. You say, okay, so we've got a budget of 200 grand, but how much is it worth to the business to fix this problem? How much mm-hmm. is it worth to the business to get a handle on it? What other resources are you aware of that the business is putting behind it? What you might learn is you're seeing a 200 grand media brief but really, the business is putting $5 million to solve that problem, which has gone into um, R&D of the product, um, has gone into testing, has gone into other paid media that you're not seeing, has gone into internal research, has gone into lots of different things. And if you just look at it as the prism of the 200 grand to achieve a campaign objective, 
You could be missing out on the 98% of money being spent by the business to solve the problem they're asking you to help solve. Even the context, though, you know, I think if it's, okay, we're, we're, we're not looking to influence the greatest share of the budget, but it's really interesting just unearthing, okay, it's it's a $5 million media investment that we're making here. It's like, wow, that's the stakes are pretty high. It sounds like this investment needs to be spent wisely. It sounds to me like there'd be a bit of unease or unrest on the parties who are entrusted to actually deploy that media investment. Um, what do you need from us to make sure that that's, you know, that, that that's not as much of a concern for you guys? Um, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah. What do you need to prove back to your stakeholders? Like it's a, it, you can already see how it, you're just pulling a thread that actually allows you to kind of go down this completely different area. And, and I'll sort of admit like um, virtually um, and in this sort of Zoom world, it's a little bit harder to kind of get into some of these questions because you know, I've I've said in previous episodes, like the social contract isn't there, and the ability to actually observe um, body language and to to pick up on those nonverbal cues isn't there. So there is a level of like people aren't as forthcoming, or you know, aren't really willing to sort of share the way virtually that they maybe are in a face to face meeting. It is a challenge of the time, but I, I would also say, like you know, I, I'm also not living in you know this kind of weird utopia where. You know, you ask a question, you expect people just to answer it. You know, there's plenty of times yeah. where clients' tolerance for for answering questions isn't there. It could simply be because they don't know you're asking a question they don't know the answer to. Um, it could simply be they don't have time and they don't they don't want to give you that time dedicated to things that they themselves are thinking this isn't relevant, so I'm not going to bother. Um, it always reminds me of that great saying that comedians have: is that if the jokes aren't working, change the audience. Um, it's about, it's about saying there's a reason why you're telling that joke and there's a reason why you think that's funny. So if you're not getting the right response, find someone who is, I, I could count hundreds of times where I've been in a situation where I'm in a briefing and someone, I ask a question, someone doesn't know the answer. The follow-up question should always be, is there someone else I can contact to ask? Um, you know, and, and if it's an agency, they're usually pretty protective about the client, yeah. but you kind of want to be respectful, but you also say, look, I'm really interested in this. And sometimes the ask is in Google. <laughs> so the amount of people who take a brief and then go, well, I need to know the answer to that question. You'd be surprised if you start Googling anything about what the company's corporate PR releases are that they put on their website, um, that, you know, you look at industry blogs and see how the company's being talked about. Um, there's so many product review blogs. If you're dealing with a brief to do with a new product in any category, usually you can find someone who's been part of a test group or um, has some inside knowledge they're sharing. Uh, there's no excuse for not knowing. I think, you know, the internet has now, thankfully, got rid of ignorance. If, if, if the only ignorance around is if we choose to allow it to happen. Ignorance has been replaced, I think, by laziness. If you don't know something, and you don't go looking for it, or you don't go asking someone else for that information, then I hope to be the other salesperson who's going to do that because I'm going to beat you. Yeah, I agree, mate. And I think you mentioned a point around client tolerance. Client tolerance there for answering a lot of questions. I definitely think there is a dwindling amount of client tolerance to indulge, you know, these longer sort of brief uncovery sessions. At least, at least at the moment, right? And you're right. We're not. We're in a moment in time, and this this is sort of a a longer term conversation. But I kind of my my takeaway a lot of the time from that is. If you're in a really competitive marketplace, like if you're if you're one of five or six suppliers or publishers who are all being briefed competitively, it is really just a case sometimes of them going, I don't necessarily want to spend 30 minutes with six different people from one particular channel. Um, so the kind of challenge is how do we make this process fun and exciting for them? How do you know what are some of the ways that you can you can kind of set that up and go um, you know, we're gonna. We just want to come in. We, we there's a few things we'd love to ask you. Um, you know, but but in going through this process, we we think it'll be really worthwhile and time well spent for you for these reasons. Is there any way you kind of any techniques you can think of there? Well, I would definitely call it out. I mean, I think that if you know you're going into a briefing, and, and let's pretend for a minute that it's not just a very stock standard buy. It's not like we're just chasing this amount of audience. Um, we expect to hit these sort of reach goals. Here's the money. What can you what can you deliver? It. It's not a not just a straight rate or commercial equation. Let's pretend for a minute that you've got a brief where there's some opportunity within the brief for creativity or or some sort of 
unique response that you can present on behalf of your organization that you work for. So what I would absolutely do is honor that word uncovery. I would start the conversation and saying, hey, listen, we know we've only got you for a short period of time. We know that time is really important. We trust that the information that you're going to provide in writing, either that you've already sent us or you're about to send us or you're about to show us, is going to cover off the basics. So how about we use that time a little bit differently and start an uncovery process around some of the things that we think either won't be in there or we'd like to kind of just explore because we think that could be interesting. So um, question number one is not going to be what's the budget. Question number one is going to be do you know the history of how this product has come to fruition? You know, what's been the life cycle of developing this product? Um, if it's an existing product, um, let's talk about um, um, how sales have been to date. Let's talk about competitive pressure. Uh, let's talk about, you know, what percentage of revenue this product is to the entire business. You know, find find a place to start the conversation, which gives the indication to the other person that is giving the briefing that you actually are going to take it on a different tack, but you're not going to take up more of their time. I think if you if you start by, you know, doing the small talk and even over Zoom, um, and then you're spending five, ten minutes on the basics that are pretty much in there anyway, think about it from the point of view of the person briefing. If they're briefing six people mm. individually, they're just repeating themselves. Don't don't be the fifth repeat. <laughs> Help them make it interesting and better. Um, so call it out and say, hey, listen, we know you're probably you're sick of saying this sort of stuff, so let's just leave that to the detail. If there's anything we're not sure about, if we think there's a piece of detail information missing, we'll follow that up in writing afterwards um, once we've read the brief fully. But let's use this 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, and we're just going to ask some questions that might appear to you that they're not exactly related, but they're really going to help us uncover and get to the heart of what the challenge could be, which allows us to present something unique to you. Yeah, and you know, like I think the thing about that language you're using there too, because I'm such a believer and you've got to have client orientation in just the way you operate, right? Like anyone who goes into the room and they're asking questions about their format, their channel, their share of the budget, their product match, their, you know, what what it is that they're going to think is right and not actually casting their eye to the customer, the client first and really being sort of seen to actually or being genuinely, um, you know, inquisitive about the client and their challenge. It's, it's, it's always very, very kind of easy to detect that self-orientation, you know, and it's, and, 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 and that's where I think people don't like it because it's like, why would I spend 20 minutes, you know, giving you, giving you spoon feeding you a way to sell your product to me better? Um, you know, that's not what we're here collectively to achieve. There was one thing that was interesting. I was just thinking about this because I had this vague memory that we spoke about John Mayer on the last podcast. Does that, does that ring a bell? <laughs> no, I'll be honest with you and say it doesn't, but um, that's okay. I'm going to take your word for it. I feel I feel like you mentioned John Mayer, or maybe I mentioned him, but um, it's funny, you know, I remember watching, a, a, he was in Nashville at the time that I was there, and I remember he got interviewed in a radio, a radio station, and this is a guy who would do interviews you know, multiple times a day, just for months on end when he's on tour. And I can remember like listening to an interview he did. And he said to the interviewer, he goes, you know, he goes, wow, you're a really good interviewer. He's like, you're asking really untrodden questions that are different and fun and exciting to answer. And, um, and it was one of those kind of light bulb moments for me where I was going, wouldn't that be amazing for a client to actually walk away from that uncovery and to really go, Wow, that was really fun. You know, I really enjoyed that process. Yeah. And that's where having empathy for the person giving the brief is really important. That if you're in a competitive media market, you and you're being briefed and you're not getting 100% share, then just pure maths says that other people are getting meetings as well. So, if you're having if this person giving the briefs is doing six of these in a row, don't be the boring one. You know, for goodness sake, yeah. don't don't be the one that is just like everyone else. Because as I said at the top of the this episode, there's two outcomes. One is to get the information, uncover something unique. So uncover, not just re- regurgitate, uncover unique information. But importantly, build credibility as being a curious person and as a curious, on behalf of a curious publisher or on behalf of a curious company. Because when 
times get tough, you'll be called on first. That that's so that you play the long game with briefing. If you see the brief as just like a chance to convert the revenue on the table, you're missing a really big opportunity to build credibility and build um, a relationship based on asking great questions, being really curious, being good problem solvers, and coming up with unique solutions. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really important point to kind of reinforce and highlight. Is I think sometimes people think asking questions or asking a lot of questions or being inquisitive, it's almost like, oh, I, I don't want to let on that I don't know what's going on or, you know, this might reveal that I don't actually know as much as I'm pretending I should. And it's the complete opposite, isn't it? I mean, nobody is going to, if it's phrased the correct way and it's a it's an interesting, provocative question, people like talking about themselves, you know, and they like talking about the place they work. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be really advantageous to not actually know a whole hell of a lot, but to be able to go in and sort of leverage that and go, hey, look, I don't know this space. What the hell does a, a CNC machinist do? Yeah. You know, you've got a job out here. What's what's that role? What do they do? That's interesting. Um, I've never heard of that before in my life. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's actually a pretty a pretty good place to be from when it comes to actually trying to do a deep uncovery where you're you're pulling together a lot of rich information. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a great question starter or a great question opener is tell me everything you know about this. Because what you want to do is you want to try and give that person an opportunity to share their knowledge so that, so in a sense, they are talking about themselves because they're talking about it in terms of their knowledge about the particular area. But you're also not setting them up for a fall. Like, you know, sometimes if you ask questions and you go, oh, well, tell us why this is really important to, you know, the business and how much of a revenue it is, you, you may, there's a risk, of course, you make the other person feel a bit stupid if they don't know. Um, yeah. So you want to give them a little bit of wriggle room. And so sometimes a broader, more broadly asked question or broadly phrased question such as, tell me everything that you know, gives that person a chance to give you as much as they can um, and or as much as they're willing to, um, as opposed to like, you know, really direct kind of like, what was the fourth quarter revenue of this product in 2017? It's like, well, I don't know, mate. And- Compare and contrast this product to every other product in the market from 20 years ago to now. Exactly. Yeah. So, so keep, keep it broad, do it with empathy, but allow the person to shine. You know, it is a, yeah. it is an exchange of ideas, an exchange of knowledge. So give that other person a chance to go, oh, I'm glad you asked that. Well, let's get on with that. I really like that type of questioning technique there, you know, tell me everything you know. Are there any sort of questioning techniques, um, you know, that that give us like that maximum bang for buck? You know, we say clients, like the tolerance to answer questions might be quite low. Maybe we want to go in and sort of pick our battles and go, okay, I'm only going to ask them five or six questions for this uncovery. But is there a way to make those five or six questions, you know, to phrase them or to phrase one question in such a way that it kind of reveals and unearths multiple pieces of information, like those open-ended kind of techniques? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess this is where I sort of give you the, the number one hack that I do when I'm doing any sort of training with people around this stuff. And it's the simplest thing, yet no one does it. Well, they don't do it before I train them. They do it afterwards, but they don't, they don't do it naturally, which is write your questions down before you go. So there's an, there's an art of writing out questions that helps your brain get into gear and it helps you, and I'm not saying type, I'm very clear in saying write. There's an art of getting your brain into gear to be able to explore things you never thought you'd ask. So if you, if you don't prep and you just kind of go, oh, I've got this, I, I kind of know, I can ask, ask mm. questions on the spot, I get it. Um, what tends to happen is that you'll just kind of wing it and sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. When you're writing out questions, what tends to happen is you start, and this is why I talk about the first 10 and the next 10, you start with questions that begin with what, where, when, why. When you start getting further into it, you get more of the why questions. You get more of those things that go, well, why is that so? Why is that the case? Why are we getting briefed? Why is this happening? And I would say that there's a, the, the technique of writing them out helps you get to why quicker. And maybe, you know, you don't have to worry about the next 10. Maybe you're getting there after question six or seven or eight. But regardless of the number, you start again, literal with those kind of factual type questions, you know, you know what, where, when, who, but then you get into the why and the why becomes really important. Um, and that that's if you can start more questions with why and you're writing them down before you go, they're the only two things you need to do. You know, if I was to boil every single thing I talk about in this space down to just that, it's write them out and start questions with why. And you will improve your ability to uncover unique information instantly. And 
sometimes this this kind of gets a bit controversial when I go down with certain questions like this one, but I want to sort of put it to you in context of what we're really fundamentally doing here. Obviously, you know, it's from the goodness of our heart and we genuinely care about the client and their outcomes and we want to do better work. But we're also in a competitive marketplace, right? And we're also always looking for a way to give ourselves an edge or a competitive advantage over our competitors, particularly in these competitive brief situations. So you sort of said at the top of the episode, you know, it's about uncovering pieces of information our competitors haven't. So we can go back with a more multi-dimensional cell and we can actually leverage and we can provide a more compelling sort of proposition. That's sort of, I guess, a good premise for me to ask the next question. Is there a way to put some subtle not landmines for, for your competitors, but is there a way to sort of pre-suade the outcome? So if you do an uncovery, um, I'll give you an example. You're doing an uncovery with a client and you know your competitors really well and you've done a bit of red teaming and you think this is probably where, you know, our biggest competitor is going to, this is their strong suit. This is what they're going to do. They're probably going to play, they're going to play the brief this way and they're going to leverage these things. Is there a way to go in with your uncovery and with those next 10 questions and ask certain questions that lead the client down a path where they might think differently about the competitor if that's what they come back and do. Is there a way to sort of plant the, um, almost plant the seed um, and and maybe undermine um, what a competitor might do on a response before they come back with it? Well, I do. And look, let me just give you a shout out. That's a great question. Thank you. It only took me 48 minutes to phrase it. So <laughs> well, um, but, you I appreciate know, again, that. I mean, obviously, you know, we do a little bit of prep for the podcast and, and that was a question that's taken me by surprise. And it's a great question. It's unexpected, but it's something that I'm thinking about now as you say it. I'll give you an example, mate, before you answer, because I, I, this is a real example. So I, I remember we went into a big partnership, annual negotiation, really high stakes. And um, we hadn't been on the contract for two years. And so, you know, all the more, all the more kind of reason to really go in and have our, have our uncovery really solid because we obviously hadn't had the benefit of two years of partnership with this client. So we hadn't forged relationships. We hadn't uncovered unique information that somebody who was actually on the contract and was working with this client collaboratively over two years would be able to know. So we're already at a disadvantage. But one of the things that I had sort of been able to figure out was that there was a level of discontent on the client's end that they didn't really feel like a valued partner over the last six months. They didn't feel like this supplier was maybe treating them with the level of um, of priority that, that they should given their size. And so I went in knowing that piece of information a little bit beforehand. I had the client in the room with the agency and I, in part of the uncovery, I remember asking a few questions that were deliberately just set to really fucking piss them off. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, hey, um, you know, with the current sort of partnerships you have, what are some of the things that they've done in the last three or four months, you know, as examples that you guys really appreciate so we can understand what it is you value, <laughs> you know, something like that. And it, and it was just totally designed for them to go, oh, they actually haven't done anything for us. And um, I don't know, like I, I kind of walked out of that room going, I, I feel like I've really set up that pitch perfectly. I get what you mean. I mean, look, it's a good example there because I, I think there's a subtle line between depositioning a competitor, you, using the opportunity to perhaps put a spotlight on something that you want the, the client or the person making the decision to have a high awareness of um, mm. and kind of you know, war gaming kind of, um, you know, like we're going to try and throw a grenade at the other guys sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, when I first heard the question, what I thought you were kind of asking was along those sort of lines. When I hear that example, I think it's a bit more around the the, the, the subtle depositioning is that how, can you use an opportunity where you're in the room to potentially highlight a competitor's weakness through questions? Well, I, think, I think the, yeah, I think the deposition, like, so that was a really extreme example. Um, you know, that was, that was kind of, I wouldn't say it was a desperate one, but it's like, it's not a technique I would normally use were it not for the fact that it was a two year contract, you know, and there was a lot of eyes on the business on it. But I think the depositioning is absolutely normally where I would go. You know, it's, it's, it's being able to kind of think, think about what are some of the things that your competitors would potentially want to position and put in a, in a, a better light. But through your uncovery, you can almost, 
step a client through a process whereby they start to come around to a different way of thinking that's more aligned to what you provide. Yeah. Does that makes sense? So it's, it's sort of more, yeah, it's a, bit, a little bit softer, a little bit more of a, a less aggressive technique. Yeah, I and look, I, I mean, I think I've always been, and look, this is just reflective of my experience, but I've always been um, in an environment where CEOs I've worked for or heads of sales I've worked for have been far more about sort of run your own race. Um, and that's not, I'm not contrasting that with your experience. I'm just saying in terms of, in terms of how I approach this is that mm. there's been probably, you know, I wasn't in the Osterio of the nineties or <laughs> any of those places that are famous for their kind of tactics. Um, but I, w- I have been in environments where, you know, there's an encouragement to kind of focus on your own stuff. But there's yeah. certainly been times where I've used an opportunity where I thought we might be on the back foot. Um, or we were up against it, you know. And look, I, I think of times where I used to work at Nova when we we're up against Hamish and Andy, for example. Um, mm. You know, when you'd know that, oh gosh, you know, SCA is going to roll out Hamish and Andy, they're going to win this money. And look, and by many times they just did. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, so I'd be thinking, right, so I wouldn't go in and, and so basically what you do is you know, know your own strengths, know your own weaknesses. So I wouldn't be rolling in saying, oh, you know, has the client heard our drive show? They're really good. I'd probably be thinking like, if SCA can't give you Hamish and Andy, where does that leave them? You know, I'd be I'd be kind of poking it with like a, a bit more of a, we kind of, we kind of want to give you the idea that we think we know what the other guys are coming back with. Um, what happens if they can't do that for any reason? You know, maybe they're too expensive or maybe they're sold out or maybe there's something going on. And usually I guess that would be, reliant on you being in a situation where you felt like, yeah, you're on the back foot. And so it becomes about opening up a dialogue or a possibility. It's like, what happens if the other guys can't give you all the Christmas presents that you want? What does that mean? More to probably plant a seed of not doubt, but like try and open up a a window to kind of explore because then what that might lead is someone to say, oh, well, if we can't do that, then we'd probably be looking at um, like in a radio context. Oh, we wouldn't look at drive. We'd look at breakfast. And so you go, oh, okay, good. That's a good little piece of information I wouldn't have got if I hadn't have raised Hamish and Andy. The Hamish and Andy is such a good example because I – well, yeah, that, I mean, that's I, I real. Remember. I, I remember. I remember. You know, you'd sometimes go to briefings, going, "This is ridiculous. They're going to buy Hamish and Andy. What are we even going to this for?" But yeah. you know, you can talk. And you know what? You can talk yourself like, into right, that. Sort rightfully of stuff. so. Rightfully so too. Like you know, that was that was one of the the issues was that even at competitors, you actually rightfully acknowledge just how good. You know, it was a once in a generation type of type of show. But I can remember with Hamish and Andy. I, I similar to your point, I would definitely. Um, I would definitely kind of use the uncovery as a way to maybe deposition them um, if I could. You know, one of the things that I think with Hamish and Andy or in any type of situation where you have such a standout market leader, you know, like you're doing a, you're doing a, a I guess, a, a an uncovery with a client and there is that sort of that big juggernaut that you just go, they're going to scoop up the money. Sometimes like the thing, the things that can really work are, are going in and saying, you know, we know that there's a lot of brands in your category that really favor just those in default environments. They go and buy that big national number one show and that's shit because then suddenly you're in this cluttered category of all your competitors, you know, and like that again, it's sort of, it's not set up as part of the cell. It's actually part of the uncovery before you've even put your solution forward. But if nothing else, it just, you can kind of see and gauge their reaction in the room and go, are they nodding along? Are they sort of are they subscribing to this type of thinking? Yeah. Um, and if so, let me let's kind of push a little bit more down that line, and let's let's kind of show a differentiation strategy we've got here. Yeah. Um, so that that's a, a fantastic example, Hamish and Andy. I think um, yeah, it's probably one of the best. Is like going into the room knowing that you actually you actually are already on the back foot in many cases. It swings around about some media, right? There's no finish line. So at some stages yeah. you're working for the guys that have got the best properties in town and some stages you're working for the guys that don't have the best properties in town. It just that's how it rolls. And um sometimes it's longer term, sometimes it's kind of changes year on year. But I think yeah. if I was to come up with a template to kind of answer that question, I'd be saying if you can't get what you want from someone else, what does that mean? in terms of the response. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you're kind of leaving, you're trying to get inside information or leaving the door ajar to to acknowledging that probably they're going to go in another direction for, for a majority of share or whatever it is, and probably that's going to way it plays out. But you want to not find that out the hard way of getting the phone call at the end to say, sorry, you missed out. You want to kind of put it up front and say, 
look, look, we can all read the room. We know we're not silly. We know this is the way it's going to go. But if that doesn't happen, what's your plan B? Um, and how mm. much do we feature in that? Because what you might find is someone might just give you that little bit of information that says, oh, we haven't thought about that. Or, yeah, actually, if we can't, then we would just forget the, forget the channel altogether and go somewhere else. Or we would, <laughs> we'd need, we'd need to find, you know, publishers that are willing to partner up or whatever that looks like. But it's just something. It's something. And to me, it's probably less about depositioning a competitor, more about acknowledging the reality and trying to still find a way to find a win. And are there sometimes, you know, going that, that step a bit further there, like, can you be can you be as candid? Do you think sometimes in the uncovery where you can just ask a question and go like, "Hey, you know, do you do you have any concerns or do you think there's anything from our end that's going to be a real challenge for us here? Is there anything that you might be concerned about our ability to execute or deliver on, or like even kind of really asking for the objections up front? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything. Again, this kind of goes to the path of asking. Uh, it's an uncovery. Ask questions that are going to uncover information. If you would, mm. if you want to spend your time asking the the questions you're going to get answers to in writing, then knock yourself out. But I'll be the other guy that comes in after you, and I'll say I'll uncover information, and I'll say things like, um, "Yeah, tell us, tell us what our biggest weakness is. Like, you know, what what's the biggest risk that we pose for you." Um, are there areas that you're not sure about that we could perform in? Do you trust us to deliver the results? I mean, they're all kind of saying the same things in different words, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, sometimes I feel like, you know, we know it's show business, but we put on a bit of a show in these situations. We're kind of like, yeah. you know, I'm always worried about the, the salespeople who are like worried about what they look like and <laughs> worried about, you know, whether the presentation's going to work and worried about the PowerPoint and all this stuff. Like, yeah, of course I get it. You, it's fair enough you worry about that stuff. You know what would be really good is just to be yourself and go in there and, mm. and, and, and show that you've got the maturity and intelligence to read the room. And the room is, you know, you're probably only going to end up with 30%. You're not going to get a majority share. Maybe you know up front that you've got budget pressures and you have to kind of deliver more than what you're giving briefed on. But calling it out and saying, listen, you know, if is the maximum we can do is this? If so, is there anything else we could do that could potentially change that? Or is there anything a competitor would do that might cause you to look at us more favorably than, than you already do? Or because we fucked up that campaign from six months ago, are you still angry at us? And, you know, calling out those <laughs> things. I think being real is so, such an underrated opportunity in, in media sales. You know, we talk, we pride ourselves on being a bit no bullshit and particularly in Australian media. I think we kind of like to think we cut to the chase, but you still see the, performance art going on and I just I just think sometimes there's a great card to play if you're the most real you're the most authentic you're the meeting out of 20 that that person's had today that they enjoyed and had a good conversation and was the most real and and you know transparent and productive like be that guy yeah yeah I completely agree mate and I think you know I've I've said this on many occasions but you come across bad salespeople in so many walks of life you know, and and that's why I think the 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 struggle we have in media sales often to legitimise our our profession is that people just kind of lump sales into this one bucket of, you know, the 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 after aftermarket car sales person who's just you know follows a script and just doesn't give a rat's ass about you and um and and I think it's I think you're right I think it's like you've got to swing the complete other way and you've got to kind of particularly in a competitive channel, you've got to be the one bringing value with every interaction beyond product and price, um, which is kind of, okay, so my last question for you before we jump into our listener question, and um, you are the founder of a company called The Ideas Business, so I don't mind throwing something that breaks your creative, <laughs> <laughs> that gets you to flex your creative chops here, but let's say you only have three questions, right? I say, Wade, I've got no time, you can have, I've got like, you can literally ask me questions i've got five minutes so you've only got three questions and you want to uncover and unlock as much gold as possible um beyond the the the, the clinical details of the brief which you've already got what might those three questions be or what might they sort of look like well the first question is why are you being such an asshole <laughs> why are you being a dickhead yeah um, okay so um three questions oh look i this goes back to that philosophy of uncover, 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 not just yep. ask questions. So let, let me assume for the sake of this argument that I know that I'm going to get the information that is the, the tin tacks of the brief and the, the relevant information around budget and demo and all that. I'm going to get it. So yep. I would probably start with 
tell us why this is important. Tell us why this brief's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of language or, you know, t- tell us how important it is or something around the importance of what it is because what you're going to be able to read from that answer is, is this the biggest thing they're doing this year, even though they haven't told us that yet? Um, is this the biggest they've spent in a while, even though they haven't told us? Or is this just like, you know, something they do every six weeks and we just happen to have got the break this time? Um, you, yep. It gives you a perspective so you can start joining the puzzle pieces together. You know, so when you go back to the office, you can go, right, this is, you know, we're going to be really big on this because or, guys, this is just going to, it sounds big, but it's actually this or whatever. So, so it's something to help you set the scene yourself. So something around why is this important? Number two, what will make you look good? <laughs> you know, everyone's working for someone else, right? So unless you're being briefed by the actual business owner who's paying you the bill, the CEO, uh, or if it's their own business, they're working for someone else. So if you say what will make you look good, it's kind of getting a window into the kind of thing that they need to present back up the line to someone else. So if it's mm-hmm. an agency, you know, what's going to make you look good to the client? Uh, if it's a client direct, What's going to make you look good to your boss? What do you need to see in here? It's kind of a between the lines question. Like we'll come up with our best stuff, sure. But what what do you need in here? And for some people, it can be quite functional. You know, some people will say, you know what would make me look good is if you just present it back in this format. <laughs> That'll make me look good um, because it saves me the work of having to recut it and redo it. Um, you know what would make me look good is if you include as much value as possible. Uh, you know what would make me look good is that um, if we get this campaign right, then we're going to get briefed on another six. Um, whatever their answer is, and some people might not want to give it to you, but you you know I'm playing the role of what questions will I ask. That That's certainly one of them. So why is this important? What will make you look good? And I think the third one I'd say is, and this is this is borrowed from the classic job interview question, um, what's something I haven't asked that you think will help me? <laughs> like, you know, you know, that, you, awesome. know the, you know, when they sort of train you in job interviewing, it's like, you know, what's something I, I should should be asking? What's something I need to know? Because it, it yeah. demonstrates a level of intellect around and curiosity around the, what's actually going on here. You know, <laughs> the, the transaction we're making is, in the context of a job interview is that I want the job, I want you to give it to me, um, so help me, right? The, the context of the briefing and media sales is I want to win this brief, I want to get the revenue, help me. And so by saying what's something I haven't asked that you think will help, you're actually recruiting them onto your team. Like, you know, they, they, they may be reluctant to kind of give away the farm, but they might give you a little tidbit. They might say, well, you know what? The guy before you, he asked about this and I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, you know, why why don't you sort of think about that? Or they might say, listen, you've just completely skipped over this bit, which is really important. We were waiting for you to ask it and you didn't. And so you don't leave the room going, oh, damn it, we didn't we didn't get that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably the third one. What's something I haven't asked that you think will help me out? Mate, how good. They, those three were awesome. That was, <laughs> Not bad, eh? That was very, hey, very, I should, very, I, very I should well call done. out too. I say guys a lot. Obviously, I mean the collective guys and girls just in case you get any letters. No, no, no. I, I do. A, I make a point of um, clarifying that too, actually. We do actually have um, a listener question from a guy who is a guy okay. um, who recorded this for us. So I'm going to flick over to it and I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on it. I can't ask my sales manager that. Uh, I'm a big believer in really good client discovery and going deep into the detail. Uh, but one of the things that I struggle with is briefing internal teams who are supporting me with crafting the solution. Uh, so do you have any tips for how to distill a detailed client discovery into the key nuggets for different internal teams? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, look, it, it is a challenging one. I, I think sometimes that when you, I mean, at the moment, it's, you know, depending where you are, it's remote, it's on Zoom, whatever. So you might have internal people more on the calls than if it, if you had to traipse into an agency and come back with the with the brief detail. But let, let's just kind of put it into a bit of a real world context. So let's say you're the only one that gets the brief and then you need to go and brief others about it or tell people about it to get them to do yep. something, right? So yep. I think one of the most underestimated opportunities is the minute you've got the information, you are in selling mode. So you sometimes think that you're like, okay, I've got to take this back and I've got to debrief and, and then we'll kind of build a response and then we'll go back and pitch it. And the, you think the pitch is where the sell starts. Uh-uh. The sell starts when you 
literally have finished the briefing, you hang up from it or you leave the building or wherever you go and the next person you interact, you're starting to sell that brief to them. And so I think about how you are selling, your demeanor, your presentation style. Um, If you are saying, hey guys, we've got a really awesome brief and it's a heap of shit, um, you know, don't try and kind of wash that stuff over. Be real, be be authentic and, and sell it to them in a way that is real. It's like, you know what, we've got a great opportunity to do this. Um, it may not have the best detail or it may have a lot of information, but the reality is, you know, we need to work on this and you've got to, you know, you at the at the at that point, you're the coach of the team. You've got to get the team up and about to try and do the best possible work. And no one wants to do great work on something that you announce as a bad brief when you take it back to the office. So, <laughs> um, so start, start selling is number one. Number two is distilling the information down. I think there's something to be said for that kind of thought around, you know, we get used to, so used to the media and media language and media the media world. And you know, when you try and talk to people outside of media and they ask you what you do, and it's really hard to explain sometimes. I I would say that the more you can kind of put it in the key points that someone outside of media would understand, the clearer it's going to be. So, you know, let's say you've got this really detailed brief. Um, Let me just make up a client. It's from Mazda. The Mazda sedan is being launched next year. And it's got all this, you know, highfalutin technology and it's targeting mums, soccer mums with two kids under five and all like blah, 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 all this detail. Basically, what you want to do is you want to distill that into something really actionable really quickly. You want to be able to say, okay, the objective of this brief is to get Trudy from Carindale to get excited and go and buy one of these things. So there's some information I've got that will support that in terms of her habits uh, in terms of what she likes to do, in terms of things she likes to buy, in terms of her perception of Mazda. But let's just start with that. that. That's kind of the key piece of information. The job of this brief is to get Trudy in a Mazda. Right. Now let's work to the next layer of detail. Um, the Mazda comes out in January. Um, we need to get something, you know, out in market for them in December. Um, we need to be thinking about the fact that it's Christmas time and she's got a lot of things on her mind. She's not going to be thinking about buying a car, but we want to put it in front of her anyway. Um, and so what we want to be able to do is come up with a compelling activation, idea, campaign, promotion, whatever, that helps get that Mazda into her mind. And so what I've done is kind of there just characterise the brief. I've got this, this heaps of detail that will come. And there's important information about stuff that we need to know. But to translate that information to someone else, think like you're telling someone outside of media, is that what what my job here is, is to try and get people to buy cars, mum. You know, like use the mum filter. It's like, what, what do you do all day, dear? Oh, well, you know, I'm advertising and media. Yeah, what does that actually mean? Mum, I'm trying to get people to buy cars by yeah, getting, yeah. getting Mazda to buy ads on the radio or buy billboards or whatever you're selling. So I would be just thinking about, the characterization, so your attitude, the demeanor, demeanor, how you're selling it back to people in the team is important, but the characterization of the brief, think real person, think colloquial language, you can follow that up with detail and you will need to follow that with detail through the process. But the first steps, you know, if the question is around how do you get people excited, you know, I think you've got to, or give that information, I think you've got to characterize it and get, present it in an authentic and positive manner um, like you're selling it to them as well. The thing you you said there, I know, I know when you were at SCA, you had that whole case, you know, the challenge approach solution um, execution type of yeah. framework. Um, but I remember Julian Cole, who um, has the Planning Dirty newsletter, he shares some really cracking stuff on LinkedIn, and he actually had something. I should probably put a link to it in the show notes, which was very much what you were saying. It was taking a really complex brief, and the example he used was, you know. We find that, um, you know, someone like myself, who's a new father, um, fitness and health kind of falls by the wayside because work is, you know, a big demand and, um, uh, sorry, work puts big demands on your time as does family life. And you can kind of go into, you know, he's a professional and he lives here and, you know, our challenge is to engage him and talk to him about this great health product. But I remember he sort of wrote it in this, these three examples of writing in really matter of fact, basic language, which was really clever. It was like, dads who've, you know, dropped dumbbells, no, dads who pick up their kids instead of the dumbbells on the weekend or um, stressed out corporate dads who can't work out when to work out. You know, it was just this really, really cool way of articulating exactly who the consumer was and exactly what their problem was. 
um, in a way that was super easy to grab. And then you're right, like the complexity and the detail and the execution and all that stuff can sit behind it. But at its core, you know, even be able to pitch that back to the client and kind of go, our, our challenge on this, you know, as we deem it from the phenomenal uncovery, we've taken all of that and we've distilled it into kind of this nice log line, which is this. Yep. Do you agree? Yep. Sweet. Yep, absolutely. And look, and you, and that is absolutely a skill. Like it's very much easier said than done. So what I would say to people who want to get better at doing that, at being able to characterize brief, is find someone in the team who you work with and, and work with them and get them to help you get better at that. If you feel like, yeah, I, I get it in, in philosophically, I understand what you're trying to say, but to do that is really hard. The, the way to get better at that is to work with someone who you think does that really well. So in every environment in media, there's someone who's a really clear, crisp communicator of really, of really everyday language. Sit down with them and, and give them the acknowledgement that that's who they are. I recognize you're this person. You can do this stuff really well. Can you help me with some stuff? So, so think of it like almost handing in your homework. I'm going to, I'm going to try and characterize this brief. I want you to tell me if I've done this. You read the brief and then you tell me if I've got this right. Give me some words that help. Give me some ways to do it. And you do get better by doing. It is a skill that you can absolutely learn, but. I wouldn't get too worried, particularly the person who wrote the question in, is that, you know, how you how you do get people ex- excited internally is it, it's not going to happen straight away. But if you start down the path of realising that you're pitching it back into the team, not inauthentically, don't say a bad brief is a good brief because we can all see it, um, but your attitude, your demeanour, how you're going to go after it, you're the, you're the coach of the team and get that language as plain and simple as possible are probably the things that are going to help you the most. Right. I reckon that's an awesome answer to that question. And, um, and, and you know, if you don't have that person in your business who can help you, reach out to my good friend Wade Kingsley and the ideas business, and I'm sure you'll be able to help as well um, for a nominal fee. <laughs> that's, that's actually the end of the app, mate. Thanks for your time. Um, before I let you go, I do want some plugs. What's what's the world of ideas business offer for all these media sales people and these media organizations out there? Do you have digital courses? Do you do you offer Zoom mentoring sessions? You know, are you doing more in person stuff? What's what's the next twelve months gonna kinda look like from the ideas business and how do people who want more Wade Kingsley get more of it? <laughs> well, first of all, Mike collab with John Mayer is coming out next week, so I should give that a plug. <laughs> um, no, I, I honestly don't know where John Mayer came from, but we'll just leave it there. Um, I would love people to have a look at the online learning course I've developed called Creative Champions. Yep. Uh, it's at creativechampions.co. And on there, I've developed an online course that you can just do 10 minutes of creative fitness a day for 21 days. And that really starts helping you with curiosity, which I know has been the topic of our conversation today. But there's two other kind of really important things in, in creative um, fitness, as I call it, creative strength. Building that creative muscle is um, the ability to make connections between things, find those patterns between things in an original way, and the courage, the courage to kind of get out there and get your share your ideas with the world, whether that's selling them to clients or just trying to get your next door neighbor to buy some cakes that you've made, whatever it is, is there's an element of courage that goes with creativity. And um, in the online learning program, Creative Champions, what I've tried to do is take all of the things that I've learned over my time from lots of other really smart people and um, added my own perspective and put them into this online course. So it's creativechampions.co. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes and... Um, would definitely encourage people to go and check that out. And if you do get an opportunity in the next uh, kind of three to six months to start doing more in-person kind of presentations, or if you do launch anything else, let me know, Wade. I'll definitely kind of on future episodes just flag what's going on and give you a plug. Um, really appreciate you making the time, mate. Is, is there sort of any parting thought on this topic that you sort of want to leave the audience with? Like sort of maybe one thing we could wrap this up with, which is like, if you take nothing else from this other than the John Mayer through line, what would be <laughs> well, the... Let, let me give you another pop... I'll leave you with another pop culture reference. So I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso. You've been into Ted Lasso? No, but everyone I know tells me I'd love it. With Jason Sudeikis, is that the one? Absolutely. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. So if you don't have Apple TV+, Plus, it's worth signing up just for the you know free trial period so you can binge the first two seasons. So... Ted Lasso is a soccer coach. Um, he's um, gone to – he's a US guy, but he's gone to um, the UK to be a soccer coach and he knows nothing about soccer. 
his background was American football. Um, long sort of bow to draw, but, you know, when you watch the show, you you see the reason he's there. It's not a show about soccer. It's a show about life. Um, and that sounds cliche, but it's absolutely true. So there's one phrase that sticks in my mind that relates to the topic we've talked about that has come up in a Ted Lasso episode to date. And there's a scenario where Ted Lasso is in a bar and there's a guy who thinks he's really good, um, you know, thinks he's better than Ted. And um, he challenges Ted to a game of darts. And um, so this guy thinks he's, you know, Ted's got no hope. He's going to beat him by miles. So he's throwing darts at the dartboard and he basically has made an assumption that um, Ted is not good because he's from America. He wouldn't know about darts. And Ted comes up to the dartboard and he throws his first dart and it kind of lands right in the middle. Throws his second dart lands right in the middle. You know, he's just, he just absolutely blows this guy away. And Ted says back to him that he knows in life it's really important to be curious and not judgmental. And I think there's something about that message, to be curious and not judgmental, means that if you enter as many situations as possible in your life, whether it be in media sales or in a broader life perspective, where you're open to possibility we are open to asking questions. We are open to being curious and not predetermining an outcome. You just never know what will happen. Wow, that is a fantastic final note to part on. And I'm going to go binge that show right now after uh, Succession Episode 1 Season 3, which kicks off tomorrow night too. So, um, yeah, mate, thanks, thanks, man. I really always just love having chats to you. It's um, It's very, very enlightening every time we do. And the audience seem to think so as well. We've got some great downloads on your previous app and no doubt this one um, will sort of quench the thirst of a few people who wanted more on the next 10 questions. So, Wade Kingsley, enjoy the rest of your, your hotel quarantine down there in SA, mate, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Jamie. It's always good to talk to you and I always think that your body is a wonderland. <laughs> I couldn't think of another John Mayer song. <laughs> You've been listening to Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic, guide the show, and don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes each week.